0: Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, celebrating pro and college football history. This week of Five Minutes of Football History edition, looking at the Columbia University football team's role in the Manhattan Project. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Michael, author of the book, The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL. It's available at Amazon.com and most major booksellers. It's published by the University of Nebraska Press and also available on their website. I did a ton of research for that book, and I still do quite a bit of research For the podcast, sometimes I'm going through old newspapers and an article catches my eye and I'll try to remember it for future use. And that's the basis for this episode, Columbia Football and the Manhattan Project. And this totally falls under the five minutes of football history category because the Manhattan Project was so secretive. There's not that much information about this but it turns out that the Columbia football team was involved in the Manhattan Project without even knowing it. I learned this from a story published in the New York Times in late January of 1954. The article summarized an annual meeting of the American Physical Society, which is still a major organization today with an estimated 50,000 members. The article noted that Enrico Fermi, one of the leading scientists on the Manhattan Project, spoke at the event and revealed for the first time that Columbia's football team actually assisted in building the world's first nuclear reactors without knowing it. Fermi called the team the, quote, bricklayers of the early models of nuclear reactors. Here's how it happened. The scientists performed a lot of early experiments at Columbia University. And Fermi needed large blocks of graphite and uranium. The blocks weighed between 50 and 100 pounds each, and literally tons of it had to be moved and stacked together. Now, most physicists aren't noted for their imposing size. The few scientists that worked on the project started moving the graphite and canisters of uranium, but were exhausted and caked in graphite after moving. They weren't exactly in a frame of mind to tackle complex quantum physics equations after an hour of that. So the dean of Columbia's physics department came up with the idea of hiring football players to do the work. The players were paid an hourly wage to move the graphite and uranium, and properly place them inside the reactors. A 1993 article in the Columbia Spectator quoted Fermi as saying, What a pleasure to direct the work of these husky boys canning uranium and just shoving it in, handling 50 to 100 pounds with the same ease as another person would have handled 3 or 4 pounds. Unquote. Just shoving in uranium, not really the safest thing to be doing. You talk about the physical dangers of football, they pale in comparison to the physical dangers of handling uranium, but of course this was in 1939, 1940, and 1941, so it was long before people knew about the dangerous effects of radiation. And because of the super top secret nature of the experiments, the players didn't know what they were moving or why they were doing it. In reality, they assisted in building the world's first atomic reactor models used in nuclear chain reaction experiments that eventually led to the atomic bomb. Again, I don't think there really is a lot of public information known about the Columbia football team's role in the Manhattan Project. I just happened to bump into this story while searching for something else and could only find one or two other mentions of it online. How did the Columbia Lions fare on the football field after that extra weightlifting at their part-time job? Well, they did have a winning record in 1940 and made it into the AP Top 20 for one week. And remember, this is still a time when Ivy League football was pretty big. Cornell was the top-ranked team in the country for several weeks in 1940. And in 1941, Columbia's team featured Paul Governale, who later made All-American, won the Maxwell Award, and finished second in Heisman voting. Governale... Also played for a couple of seasons in the NFL after World War II. He even threw 17 touchdowns one year, and that's pretty good for a 12-game season. And of course, don't forget the great Sid Luckman played at Columbia. His college career ended in 1938, just a year before the Manhattan Project arrived on the university's campus. If you want to learn more about Ivy League football history, we covered that a little bit in the Burt Bell, the Great Commissioner episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. And we will certainly cover more of its history in future episodes of the podcast and at thegamebeforethemoney.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. Future episodes include a three-part series with Burt Bell's son Upton on three games that changed the NFL. We'll also speak with Packers' great boy Dowler, as well as John Loban, one of the members of the Syracuse 8. Be sure to subscribe to the Game Before the Money podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen at thegamebeforethemoney.com. Transcriptions of podcasts are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com and powered by our transcription partner Sonics. Spelled S-O-N-I-X. Visit Sonix.ai to learn more about their transcription services.